Personal trials and growth are inextricably linked. People almost exclusively grow due to challenging circumstances and tribulations. How fitting, then, that the eponymous Jack grows due to his plethora of trials. In previous weeks, we've discussed at length Jack 2, its characters, the world, and its missions, the whole time alluding to character growth that would happen subtly and consistently throughout the game. This week, we finally see the tipping point of Jack, who both gives in to his darker feelings and also overcomes them and becomes a better man. Not only is this wonderful for keeping the story interesting, it's also a great moral. Even people who have given in to their darker temptations can learn and grow and become better than they were. We are Reflections on Gaming, and this week, if you couldn't tell already, we will be continuing to review Jack 2 in our deep dive analysis, continuing to discuss each mission and how we felt about it in our latest playthrough. I'm Jordan. And I'm Weston. So we're going to dive right back in and keep talking about the missions of Jack 2. Uh, we are now in the final third of the game, so we're really coming up to kind of the head of the story for all things that have been hidden in shadow. <laughs> shadow. To be revealed. And the way we're going to do that is through racing. That's right. We get our first real, true race for, like, glory and prize and to move up in the ranks of the racing world with the class three race at the stadium. This is a terrible mission. Just kidding. But depending on who you ask, they might agree with that. This is definitely a, uh, these, these races can really throw people off. And I've seen quite a bit of chatter about them throughout the years of people giving up basically once they hit these races. The races are definitely interesting. Like the, the vehicles that you use for the races are very similar to the regular zoomers that you use, but they're very fragile. Uh, and there's a couple of techniques that you really are never told that are essentially critical to make it through these races. Uh, and, and the thing that makes it really difficult is, A, the AI has rubber banding, which I am almost always against. And I know that there's good reasons to have rubber banding, but I have never found rubber banding to make things interesting. I've always found rubber banding to just make things obnoxious. In any case, uh, rubber banding makes it a bit annoying. And the other thing that makes it annoying is that you can and most likely will damage your zoomer during the race. If you do, if you take enough damage, your zoomer will slow down and it will be impossible to win, or you'll just go headlong into a, a wall and blow yourself up. And that means you have to restart the race, which wouldn't be that big of a deal, except every race has five laps. So if you're in the fourth or fifth lap and you're finally ahead of everyone else and then you run headlong into a wall or some racer rams into you or anything like that, you're screwed and you have to do the whole thing over, which can be extremely frustrating. Yeah, and paired with the rubber banding, you never really have an opportunity unless you're very, very good to really get way ahead and not have the other drivers sometimes run into you or bump you into a wall or just get you off track. In fact, I don't think it was this race. I think it was the next one. But there was a point where Jordan was playing and he went to go <laughs> around a corner and Errol, the, you know, douche, just slammed into him and kept him to the left and they both just like sacri Errol like sacrificed himself and they both just slammed into a wall and exploded. So the AI will actually do quite a bit to try and throw you off course and, and murder you. So. But, but not intentionally. It's just not great racing AI. <laughs> yeah. But the races do, I mean, I, I think they're quite fun. They're difficult, but they're fun. Each one has different shortcuts that you can take. Each track is very unique. And they, the zoomers that you're driving handle quite quite well. You can You can make pretty tight turns. They are actually like racing cars made for racing that they can they have a very high speed and they also have very good handling so there's really nothing to blame death on other than maybe poor ai and your own skill like it really is just you have to be good enough to beat these and if you're not you're pretty much out of luck yeah and i mean unfortunately you don't really get to practice it's just win or don't win 
Uh, so a lot of people, when they're not used to how these specific vehicles handle, are just going to have to try again and again and again for a while. I remember the first time I played this game, it took me a very long time to pass each race. Uh, but this time around, I think we did it first, second try, yeah. something like that. It really wasn't a big deal. But, uh, you know, for for people who are going to play this game for the first time, this is definitely another mission that can be a big roadblock and just adds to the idea that Jack 2 is an extremely difficult game. And it's just because it doesn't really prepare you for a lot of what it's going to throw at you and you just have to knock your head against it until you succeed. Luckily, you're likely to succeed uh, and you can keep trying it for as many times as you need. So, you know, it's not not like a Crash Bandicoot where you've got a live system that you can keep knocking your head against this particular wall until it breaks down. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, there's also some other missions that you can take on right around this phase. Uh, so if you need a breather from hitting your head against that wall, you can you can do some other things. Yeah, one of the other missions that are available to you during this time is to hunt Haven Forest for some metalheads, which may sound simple at first, and it, and it kind of is, but in Haven Forest, there are new metalheads that have cloaking, and there will be two different kinds. You'll fight the really huge kind of octopus-looking ones that have, like, guns that they'll shoot at you with uh, in kind of like a triple-shot kind of fashion. And then you have other invisible ones that will come right up to you and, and try to hit you. And the cloaking is pretty good. Like, you can totally actually miss these metalheads if you're not looking. But they have kind of like a yellow sheen. And if you look well, at them right... you can see the their metalhead skull gem glowing. Right. Uh, but aside from that, whereas a lot of games, especially games where you can turn invisible, they usually have that light bending effect... Uh, these enemies, their cloak is actually just completely see-through. All you can notice is maybe the lights of their eyes, which are very small, so that's difficult. Um, usually it's fairly easy to see their skull gem, although only when they're up close, and they'll probably be close enough to hit you. Or every now and again, some of them kind of sparkle with electricity. Uh, but you really have to be on your toes and paying attention to see these guys. It's not... Just a walk in the park. It is actually kind of fun to... Uh, the time of day that you do this mission will make it easier or harder. Because if you do it at night, you'll actually be able to see the glow of their skull gems in their eyes a lot more easily than during the day when it kind of blends in with the light reflecting. I mean, not reflecting, but with the daylight and the fact that all of the colors are a lot more vibrant and they'll blend in a lot more. So if you haven't played this game, take, keep that in mind. <laughs> go Go at night. It's easier. I mean, or go throughout the day, and if you don't succeed, eventually, after enough retries, it'll be night. True. True. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so that one's a pretty straightforward, just combat encounter, but you have to think a little bit more. The Really, the only difficult part of it is uh, if you miss one or two enemies, you have to search for them, because uh, they won't find you. They won't go towards you unless you're close enough. Uh, so it can become a little bit tedious if you're not really scouring the whole area for these guys but that's not really difficult and most people probably aren't going to spend that much time scouring the forest for them because they do go towards you uh when you're close enough i like the fact that they put this mission a little bit later because it it does draw on your knowledge of haven forest that if you miss one or two you by now you've been in haven forest a number of times and you probably know the layout at least somewhat well so you can kind of search areas that maybe you remember you haven't been to yet, or maybe some of the secret paths, and you just know your way around the area a little bit faster than you did during the first couple of missions that you came here. So I think they made a good decision of, you know, this isn't a particularly difficult mission in in terms of, like, they're not throwing these super ultra mega hard metalheads at you. They're just hard to find and, and hard to see, and they'll, they'll hit you before you even know that they're there. But as for actually making your way around the level and finding all of them, it's not that hard because you're so familiar with it. Yep. Uh, another mission that you can take on is getting a seal piece at a dig site. This dig site is the exact same site you went to to destroy the drilling platform, but this time 
the entire interior has been completely modified, which isn't really explained. Uh, it just so happens that now, instead of a big old drill platform, um, there's just platforming and combat sections. Uh, so it would be nice, it would have been nice for them to give some kind of context to the fact that this is essentially the same level you went to before, but completely modified. Completely different, infested with metalheads, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> um, it's not so bad. The biggest issue with this level is that it's much more open. Um, there's a number of paths that you can take that all kind of loop back onto each other. And the only reason this is a problem is because you have to hit five switches to raise a platform to leave this area. And I think only two of the switches are at all visible to you to begin with. The rest are hidden and you have no way of knowing where they are. So you just have to keep going through the level and looking at every nook and cranny to find them. And some of them are fairly well hidden. One of them is underneath a platform that really you're not likely to go to unless you fail a platforming challenge uh, and just fall because there's lava around here and you're probably not gonna be thinking, oh, I should jump down near the lava. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, it's another one of those things of like, you know, if you had a mini map that showed you general areas, it wouldn't be so bad, but as it is, you're completely blind and without already having prior knowledge like we do or using a guide or having somebody to tell you a lot of these almost feel like luck if you found them you know quickly you were lucky otherwise it's going to take you forever to scout to scour every single inch of this map because lots of them are totally off the beaten path of where the level is obviously leading you well, and we have completed the game a number of times and we still forget where they are because they're in such innocuous places. Yeah. Um, but in any event, once you get past that part, which isn't terribly difficult, just tedious, uh, there's a more potent uh, challenge where you have to platform across some lava with some falling rocks. Uh, and you have to be very quick and very precise um, because you have to do some long roll jumps and uh, those can be dicey. Uh, and then you have to do a couple of swinging pole jumps, which aren't super difficult, but uh, it can be difficult to gauge getting onto them because there's no drop shadow to help you. <laughs> you don't know when they're gonna start going forward and when they're gonna start going backwards. Uh, so that can be a bit dicey. And then the final section is a just pure platforming challenge. Enemies are gone. Uh, but for some reason, there's these giant spike balls that are going to get launched at you at different sections. Uh, not so difficult if you know the timing, uh, because some of the spike balls will go in intervals of three and then none, three and then none. Others will go one, none, one, none, two, none. And it's just unless you've played it enough times to know what's coming, it can be you can get knocked out without really realizing that the pattern you thought you were following hadn't yet been completed and looped through. Yeah. So that one is a pretty good preparation for, you know, you're getting the seal piece, you're getting a part of the seal of Mar uh, to do stuff with. And it's a pretty good preparation for or later on after you've completed the seal. So. I think it's pretty solid that they're introducing you to kind of these multifaceted challenges where it's not just one goal. It's like, no, it's multiple sections that you have to get through and each one is throwing a different skill check at you that you have to get through. But in any case, after you finish that, another <laughs> another underground mission opens up for you where uh, Torn is actually telling you that the Crimson Guard has put in some new ultra strong hellcat cruisers that he wants you to blow up because they're annoying and they're really strong and you know you don't want to deal with new colors they're, they're changing up their palette and we cannot how, let that abide how dare they pick yellow yep. they're the crimson guard not the yellow guard honestly same with the blue crimson guard in honestly the but anyway. it doesn't make any sense like we're the crimson guard with yellow hellcat cruisers and it's like wait a minute <laughs> also just as an aside if you're ever a military designer, don't make your strongest things stand out completely from everything else, because then they're an easy target. <laughs> Just saying. Um, but in any case, 
pretty self-explanatory, not that hard. They're, you just have to grab a car and, and shoot them down. And they are very strong. They take a lot of bullets to take down, and obviously, obviously you're getting swarmed with Crimson Guard trying to shoot you down, but overall it's nothing you haven't dealt with before. It's just more intensive, uh, same things you've done over and over and over. Yeah, really the trick with this one is just switching vehicles because your vehicle is going to be damaged and you want to jump out of it before it explodes. If you know that, then you're pretty much eschewing to win. The next mission, however, and if you've completed all the missions that we've talked about up to this point, this is the only mission you'll be able to take on, and it is the final mission before being able to move on um, to the next section of the game. Uh, this one is notorious. This is the most difficult mission in the entire game. And we have already discussed several missions that are like, people stopped playing the game because of this. People stopped playing the game because of this one. This one, literally, some people have never been able to pass. Even sticking with it and trying again and again and again, it is just that difficult. It is horrible. It is horrible. I have PTSD from this mission. <laughs> now, so what happens is Bruder calls you up and says, hey, thanks for uh, helping all my friends. And I heard that you're interested in those little Mar artifacts. Well, I've got one for you. Go to the old water town where all the uh, houses are on top of the water. Uh, and you can, have, you can have this piece that I've got for you. Well, you pick it up. And who should be there waiting to ambush you but the Crimson Guard? Uh, I think we should specify this seal piece is not just in the water slums. It is in the furthest possible corner of the water slums. You're not like a quarter of a way away from the entrance. You're not halfway across the room from the entrance. You are the farthest away possible from the entrance. And you, there is just a, a veritable labyrinth of boardwalks that you have to traverse and figure out how to get to the entrance. Right. And likely up to this point, you have never paid any attention to the boardwalk um, geometry, because why would you? You can normally either use the jet board on the water to just go underneath the houses, or you can use a car to fly above the houses. Like, there's never any reason to actually walk on this until this mission hits. And then, when the mission begins, I'm sure a lot of people are tempted to be like, oh, I'm just going to jet board or swim to the end. Like, why would I try to take on all these people? Well, you hop into the water, and what should pop up, except an insta-kill enemy, this little pod pops up detects you shoots you and doesn't hurt you no you die yep. <laughs> immediately so you're not allowed to skip out of this you have to play this part legitimately and the way it goes is you have to make your way from one end of this boardwalk to the other end back into the city however at every intersection there will be a drop ship of crimson guard that starts spawning enemies if you get too close to the ship it will fire at you and it has impeccable aim like the, you're not going to be able to dodge it so you have to wait until it leaves to make it leave you have to wait until it dumps about 15 enemies every single intersection with multiple happening at any one time because they'll be at intersections that you're not even going to because they're not the right way. So they're constantly like by by the time you get probably halfway through, there are like 3 to 4 dropships at, at every single intersection that you come to just all converging on your position with like 30 enemies that are shooting you from afar and getting right up next to you and hitting you with the butt of your gun of their gun or shocking you with their taser attachment or just making you cry and feel like you're you're not good at this game anymore. Right. And the biggest issue is that while you are going through this, you have at most three hits of, of health because every enemy is going to do two ticks of damage and you have eight. And so once you get hit four times, you're done. You have to restart. So you have three shots to get through the whole thing. And there are no checkpoints. And there are no checkpoints. And nobody you, drops health. You have to go from one end to the other end without dying. They only drop ammo, no health, there are no checkpoints. It's so hard. Not to mention, the other reason you would never walk on this boardwalk to begin with is the fact that the geometry on the boardwalk is super annoying. And sometimes 
you'll like long jump onto a certain part but it won't actually be flat enough for you to stand on and you'll kind of like slide off or you'll hit you'll try to long jump and you'll just hit a part of the boardwalk and go to a full stop uh it's kind of a small thing but it's really annoying to me and i i notice it every time i do this mission that it's just traversing the boardwalk itself you don't have a lot of options you basically just have to run or walk you can't jet board because it's too fast and you'll definitely fall off you can barely roll because it just doesn't work super well and you're still liable to fall off so your your options for getting through this level are extremely limited especially because there's really only one right way to get to the entrance and if you go the wrong way you'll get stuck and kind of cornered by all these crimson guard that you will have a tough time taking out and getting back on the right track yeah this is honestly a bad mission like most missions can be a bit obnoxious and they and, and a lot of missions can be like it's got some good parts it's got some bad parts it's got some parts that should be you know maybe taken out but for the most part it's relatively fun this is not a fun mission this is an annoying mission where you can't go fast you have to kind of hope that you're lucky and you just have to keep trying again and again and again even if you know exactly what to do and you're relatively skilled at the game it really comes down a lot to luck it comes down to is the auto aim for you going to be sig significant enough for you to kill enemies quickly enough to keep yourself alive and are the enemies going to have incompetent enough aim that you don't get hit like that's really what it boils down to is am i going to be lucky enough to hit them and i'm going to be lucky enough not to get hit by them uh so if that were if there was ever going to be a remake of this game or a reimagining, which would be fantastic, this mission needs to be significantly overhauled because it's just not fun. And you can make things as hard as you want, but it needs to be enjoyable. And this is not enjoyable because it's not really dependent on your skill. It's dependent on luck. Even if they, again, you know, we don't like to complain about things without offering some solution that we can think of. All you need to do to just make this a little more manageable is leave some health packs along the way. Just like a box every two intersections that has a point or two of health, depending on, you know, if the game senses how low you are. Just to help you, because every single intersection is difficult. There were times that we died literally on, like, the second to third intersection, and other times where we got to, you know, the sixth or the very close to the end, and then died. Um, I think if they just added a little bit of leeway for you, it wouldn't be nearly as bad. I would say that they that they would need to overhaul the game's mechanics to make it fun, though. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was ever going to be a remake of this game, I would say that a, a what they ought to do is revamp the gun mechanics to make it a third-person shooter keep everything the same it's a third person action adventure game where you do platforming and you have the regular combat moves and whatnot but when you pull out a gun instead of just having kind of an auto aim on a plane that kind of tracks enemies they ought to just have you control the reticle and make sure that you're hitting enemies um because every time you use the gun it would make it that much more enjoyable to use it and this mission in particular kind of hinges on that if the gunplay in of itself is enjoyable then this mission is fun but the gun mechanics aren't fun in of themselves they're serviceable but they don't do anything the mechanics not the guns the guns add a lot to the game in diversity but actually using them um does doesn't add as much as i think a lot of people thought at the time but anyway i think we spent enough time on that particular mission after you have completed that mission, you have another, uh, you have the final piece of a seal that should allow you to enter Mars' tomb. But before you can do that, you have a couple of missions you have to go through. The next one being talking with Onan and passing a trial of intelligence. Yeah, it's like wisdom uh, they, intelligence they something. Claim, they claim this is a, a task of intelligence uh, that you have to pass before you can, like, put the thing together but it's just a mini game yeah it's just a i mean classic hand-eye coordination and reflexes mini game uh onan holds kind of this bowl of stuff that different inputs will come out and it's just one of the four 
um, face buttons on the controller, either square, circle, cross, or triangle. Um, that's and, right. That's right. We said it. It's cross. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Pecker is sitting on top, just kind of like watching it happen and judging. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the things come out and they start out, you know, coming out ones and they'll come out in twos. And then eventually she'll send out like ones rapidly, you know, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then Sometimes sprays like of like five seven. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a mini game. It's fine. It's whatever. It's not that hard. I didn't think it was that hard for some people. It'll be very hard. Some people have a really hard time with that. Like, knowing which button to push uh, to hit all the right number of things that are popping up on the screen. And, you know, when they're under pressure, doing that kind of stuff can be very difficult for them. But under pressure. Yeah, that down on me. OK, in any case, I mean, that that's pretty much it. It's it's very simple. There's not much else to it. Yep. Then the next mission isn't really a mission. You have to go into the mountain. Uh, you use you go into a special place that you haven't been able to reach before um, and um, yeah you just kind of see a cutscene where you open up these pillars using the items that you got from the mountain the very first time you went there uh, and then it opens up the tomb to Mar which is really cool the really interesting thing is that um, essentially this big laser beam comes up and shines at the location of Mars' tomb, but it does it with enough power that it actually destroys the surrounding architecture. Uh, and so in the center of the city, more or less, you have been seeing this giant statue of the Baron. And what does this laser beam do? do? It destroys the statue of the Baron, which is very poetic, uh, and reveals that Mars' tomb has been underneath his statue this whole time and now that it's been revealed in a very dramatic fashion you need to get there as quickly as possible to figure out what to do there uh, before the baron can try to get his claws on what he wants in said tomb right so you arrive at the tomb you go in and <clears throat> you're kind of there and it's correct me if i'm wrong but a voice comes through you're, you're at this giant door and a voice comes well, through but like before before the voice let's let's set the stage samos or, or i'm sorry shadow is there with core and this young boy and they say this young boy uh he's here because he is the heir to the city and he's a descendant of mar so if anyone's going to be able to do this, it should be him. Like, that's that we already know that that's kind of what they said is supposed to be the thing. Then a precursor voice pops up and says, uh, only the worthy can enter here. And then it says, oh, um, that kid's too young. He can't go in. Come back and, later. <laughs> right. And this is after the door has already opened. So Jack is like, uh, no, we need to do this and we need to do this quickly. Like the Baron is on our tail there. The metalheads are attacking the city and we're not going to last much longer. Like we can't wait years for this kid to grow up. So he does an Indiana Jones slides under the door. And, uh, and rather than having a hat that he needs to pull through, he actually grabs Daxter and pulls him through. Yeah. Daxter is like, oh, never mind. Jack's like, nope, sorry. You're, you're part of this team. You're coming with me. And then we are in the Tomb of Mar, and we must pass the tests of manhood. There are two of them. Uh, one of them is... One is a skill check. Um, it's mostly platforming, jumping, and swinging. It's all about timing, positioning, knowing where you're going. The other is more cerebral. Uh, so the one um, that I think is a bit more fun is the skill challenge where all you're doing is you're doing platforming you're jumping all over the place it looks fantastic it feels really good and there's relatively a good number of checkpoints so even when you fall you don't have to go back too far and then at the end of this area uh you reach this giant boulder and daxter goes to knock the boulder out of the way uh, and accidentally gets trapped in front of the boulder and you have this crash bandicoot callback right because insomniac made this insomniac made or naughty, naughty dog. dog yeah naughty dog made this game naughty dog made uh the crash bandicoot games 
Uh, and so you as Daxter have to run away from this ball. But to make it more interesting, halfway through this chase sequence, the ball is destroyed and a giant spider comes after you. And so now you have to avoid this giant spider. Uh, and it culminates with Daxter jumping up this large tower and then getting to the end. Lots of fun. Um, but because of this sequence, Daxter is actually no longer with Jack uh, for the second challenge. Yeah, it's fun because Jack has to go through some additional um, some additional platforming segments without Daxter. And it's just kind of interesting, you know, nothing, nothing really changes about the gameplay. You can still do all the same jumps. You can still do all the same attacks, but it's just kind of fun that they made Daxter a little more useful and split them up to show kind of, you know, each of their each of their skills and personalities a little bit of them being alone. Well, it's also when you're alone without Daxter, he doesn't make the nice comments that he makes normally. And it's very quiet, which empty. Yeah, it's just it's very interesting. Jack is like, man, this is nice. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he can say that considering he pulled Daxter in with him. <laughs> true, true. Uh, the second test of manhood uh, is much more difficult. Uh, and this one is much more cerebral. This one is an actual puzzle sequence that you have to get through. There's a number of puzzle sequences that have nothing to do with combat. Uh, and in fact, if you try to use your guns, um, a voice comes on and says you're not allowed to do that here. Uh, so in between each of these trials, you have a pool and you have to get across the pool without killing yourself because it'll be electrified over the top. So you have to dive down with the correct timing. This can be really difficult when you haven't played the game before because you won't know the timing. But once you know the timing, uh, it's not too bad. And then there's a number of skill sequences that you have to go through. The first one is there are these tombstone look tombstone looking things and you have to hit them. Uh, and when you hit them, they make a noise and you have to match the two tombstones that make the same noise. I have to say us doing this on stream was really annoying at the time because it was before we had a. Uh... Our, our audio setup so that we could actually hear the game. So the game was basically muted and we're trying to match these. So we're like, I'm sure it wasn't that interesting, but we're basically being silent for like five minutes on the stream so that we could hear the tiny little jingle and, and get it matched up. Just kind of funny. It was kind of funny. But while this one isn't super difficult, it is really interesting because it's some of the coolest sound bites that you're going to get in the whole game just the tunes that they used and the uh, instrumentation that they used is just really cool. And it lends itself to this kind of spooky, ancient, yet um, uh, highly technological location that you're in. Uh, another thing that you have to do is three spiders will pop up with red bellies, uh, essentially black widows. And a whole bunch of other spiders will Be come down. Beetles. They're beetles. Whatever they are, they're insects. You, yeah. you step on them. <laughs> and you have to hit only the beetles with red on their bellies and none of the other ones. Uh, this one is probably super difficult for people um, to begin with. Luckily, the beetles will always be in the same locations. So you always know kind of where to start. Unluckily, they move around like so, a lot. Yeah, a lot. So if you're slow or if you're not paying attention, you will keep failing. And every time you hit an enemy or one of these beetles that is incorrect, you take damage. Yeah, this is just like that Ocarina of Time little mini game that I hate, where the dude throws the three super cocos into the into the pen, and you have to go find them, and you get rupees. Except you actually have to do this one. No, you get a bottle. Oh, you get a bottle. Which is why everyone does it. Except you have to do this one to progress in the game. You also can't cheese this one. You can cheese the one in Ocarina of Time. Really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> in any case, I'm not a fan of this. Personally, I think it's, I don't know. It's not that fun, frankly. It's just, it's just not that fun. It's not that hard, but it's kind of annoying. And I just, it's not as fun as the matching. Frankly, neither is really the diving under electric. That's not really fun either. It just like is a thing you have to do. Right. But... 
I like this sequence specifically because when they say this is a trial testing your wisdom, I felt like, yeah, this actually is. This isn't like, can you jump 15 feet in the air? Can you take on enemies like a hundred at a time? Can you do this? Can you do that? This one is just like, are you smart enough not to fry yourself? Are you smart enough to keep track of the things that you need to hit? There's also a segment where you have to follow a colored pattern. Uh, I died on this because I accidentally landed on the wrong space, which was super annoying. Um, but all of these things are actually a test of are you smart rather than are you skillful? Granted, as the player, it's a little bit of both. It's less of a how smart are you and more of a how keen are you and how good are you are at um, specific. Precise. Yeah. How precise yeah. are you? Uh, but I just I just really love how it feeds into kind of the theming of this location. Sure. Uh, but after you've completed both tests, you open up the Tomb of Mar uh, to the precursor gem that you're looking for. Uh, but unfortunately, Baron Praxis has managed to follow you into the tomb somehow with his giant spider bot thing. And he flies in after you. And you get to have a boss fight while he's trying to pull this precursor gem out and you're trying to stop him. This is a really fun boss fight. Uh, just like the first Baron fight, this one moves in three different segments and he'll do three different. He has three different styles. So the first third of his health, he'll just be shooting bombs at you. And no, no, he fires little walkers. at. Right, right, right. Sorry. He throws he, he fires little like spider bots at you that you have to destroy. And then after you destroy them all, he'll shoot out bombs at you. And the bombs have a relatively long timer, and you just have to hit them back at him. The one annoying th part of this that we encountered many times while trying to do this is that the bombs really have no auto-aiming, that if you hit them at all in the wrong direction, they will not hit the Baron. Um, and that's okay. Like, I don't think that you should be able to hit it from any angle and hit the Baron. But I think they could have been a little bit more forgiving because it's not exactly easy to line up the camera and Jack and the spin kick to all the the exact right direction to hit the Baron. Really, I think the issue really comes down to he throws a bomb at every intersection between these pillars that can help protect you. Uh, and to take him down, you have to launch every single one of these at him, which isn't going to happen. It's going to take you two cycles bare minimum to do this uh so it becomes a bit tedious mm -hmm. if they wanted to make it a little bit more enjoyable they should have sent out more enemies not sent out bombs in every single location but you only have to hit him once and then he moves on to phase two right phase two is a little bit more difficult he continues to send out the spider bots but now uh he's flying at you and he's trying to shoot you with um just bullets uh, it's relatively difficult to dodge because he goes up and down as well as side to side. Uh, but you can avoid everything fairly easily by just standing behind these pillars. Uh, but these pillars will be destroyed over time. And if you're unlucky, the bullets will actually go through the first time you're trying to use it. And you can get hit even though you're using the defensive strategy you're supposed to. Not great design. Um, but he'll keep sending out bombs periodically and you just knock him back at him. Uh, and then he'll move on to his final stage. In the final stage, he goes back onto the precursor stone and actually rips it out of the wall and places into like the faceplate of his robot. And at this point, he'll come up and use an electric shock out of the precursor stone or just the power of the precursor stone to destroy portions of this kind of crescent platform that you're standing on. So so portions between these pillars are now destroyed that you have to jump over the gap to move. You also have to avoid him just killing you with that move. Right. And he's still he'll kind of go up and down and still shoot you with bullets. And at this point, you have to just shoot him when he comes up to. I'm pretty sure he's still launching no, no. bombs. He does still launch bombs, bombs the whole time, which is a little obnoxious. Like, it is a little obnoxious, in fact. Would it, be, it would be nice if you could just shoot him with some things. <laughs> Yeah, in any case, screw your bombs. I'm shooting you in the face. It is it is always a little annoying for the same reasons I said is just it's sometimes 
hard to get the bombs to actually go in the right direction to hit him. Sometimes they'll fly off to the side, even though you thought that you hit it in the right direction. Not speaking for personal experience. <clears throat> anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's not that bad. It can be annoying, but it's a pretty fun boss fight. I wouldn't say it's a badly designed boss fight, but like Jordan said, it'd just be nice if you had a few more options for how to approach it. More options or just make it so it's not so repetitive. Because again, if you ever die, you're back to square one uh, and you just have to hit him a lot of times. It is not really fun. Once you know how to take him down, that should be it. Uh, anyway, the, the really disappointing thing about the boss is that, as is true in many video games, once you beat him, he still wins. You just took him to town, and what does he say? Oh, too bad, I can't hurt you anymore, but I've got the Precursor Stone, and I've still got my machine that lets me fly out of here. And it's like, why did I bother beating you if you win anyway? Like, what is the point? There was no reward for my actions. Yeah, it's... It, I always take issue when a game has you complete something and then says, screw you, I don't care that you won and I forced you to win. You still lose. And and this isn't like games where they force you to lose the battle. I'm okay with that. If it's like you're playing and then the enemy is so much stronger than you, you get wiped out, but then it reveals, oh, that's supposed to happen? That's fine. For the most part. Sometimes you Dep waste something. <laughs> yeah, depending on how they do it. But I still prefer that to this because then it's like, yeah, you failed, but you weren't supposed to win. When it's like, no, you have to win just to lose. Oh, oh, so annoying. So that is obnoxious to me in this one because the first time you beat the Baron, it makes sense that you won and he left, right? He survived. But it was obvious that you won and at least his pride was hurt by the fact that this eco freak took him to town. And you got a lot of good information that the Baron specifically did not want you to be able to bring back. Right. Whereas this time you didn't get anything. He got the precursor stone. You got, you know, to live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, after this happens, Torn tells you, hey, a number of people have been um, captured and they're in the prison fortress where you, you used to be. Um, we need to deal with this. So go into the prison and uh, go rescue all your friends. This one is interesting because it's essentially a rehash of um, the tutorial level, but much more difficult. And you even go through some of the same areas, but this time you actually have to fight all the enemies instead of just running from them. Uh, I believe this one is relatively easy, like, except for the very beginning where you have to take out all the flying Crimson Guards and their spawn points, which is just tedious. Yeah. The rest of it is pretty straightforward. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, really the interesting part of this is that you finally, like, 100% actually legitimately this time complete the cast of characters at the end, is that you go to the... You get back into the exact same room where you started the game. This torture table is still there. And you find out that, oh yeah, all those cells in this place weren't empty. We just left, but they weren't empty this whole time, actually. Uh, you free Tess, who obviously just got captured. But in one of the cells, who should be there but Samos the Sage? Old, crusty, green, moldy, moldy regular, <laughs> regular looking Samos the Sage with the bigger log and then... I'm not even kidding Full about beard. the moldy thing. Like he's significantly more green when he's older. Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 mold. And he's like, "Where the heck have you been? I've been waiting here for you guys." And Jack and Daxter are like, "Wait, what? What is happening?" <laughs> and so now there's two Samoses, one who is young, one who knows them and knows everything. And they're like, "What is going on here?" And we're gonna learn why that is later but for now Samos essentially hangs out with his younger self and kind of starts helping lead the resistance with him um and this one like it's really interesting because again you already know that you're in the future but you still don't know exactly everything that's going on and now that there's a young Samos and an old Samos and you've time traveled it's like okay there's still a bunch of stuff that's going on that I don't understand and I really want to know what is happening. So it's a great additional hook to keep you interested in what's happening. Right. 
So after this uh, opens up again, that was a long string of all of those missions you had to do in order. You just had one path to go. Now it spreads out and gives you three options that you can do. Uh, one of them is Samos tells you that the Crimson Guard is sending bomb bots to their hideout, to the, to the underground's hideout. I don't know how they found it. It's not like they have their symbol painted on the door or anything. Um, I also don't know why they don't change it after this, when they know where they are. <laughs> Seriously, though. Uh, again, this one is super straightforward. It's whatever. It's a You have to go and destroy these bomb bots that are headed toward the hideout. I think there's like five. Yeah, right? it's 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 really quite simple. Uh, it's the first time you get introduced to these huge things that have lasers that will. Sh well, it has a laser that it can shoot at you, but it can't aim very far down. Yeah, it has a very. So if you get right under it, it can't hit you. Yeah, and you can just take it out super easy. And then, but <laughs> the, the downside of that is when you when you finally do destroy it, it'll start a countdown and explode. But the countdown is long enough that it's pretty easy to get away. So. It's whatever. Yeah, this is a pretty straightforward mission. It's fun. Um, it's kind of a kind of another combat slash city finding things challenge. Um, and it's just nice to kind of be like, yeah, all that ruckus that you guys made. Baron is paying attention and he's seeing like where things are happening, though. That doesn't really go very far because they never change their hideout or anything. Uh, at the very least, you know, Things are still kept interesting and, and you have to do new things. The next mission that you're likely to do is the next race at the stadium. And this is really a big turning point for Jack. Um, because up until this point, Jack's main motivation has been taking on the Baron and doing anything and everything he can to fight the Baron, kill the Baron. And he doesn't really care much about other things. Slowly over time, he's been caring more and more about people, and he's been willing to do things outside of just trying to get to the Baron, but that's still been kind of his focus. And it hasn't erased all the things he has already done that a lot of people from the outside, as we'll see, you know, would not think of as being necessarily the best path to actually helping the city out. Right. And so what happens is Jack and Daxter get called in for the next race. They go into the mechanics lounge to talk about doing the next race. And Jack is kind of put down by the mechanic being like, yeah, you beat the first race, but I'm not sure, you know, how excited I am for you to still be on my team. Daxter says, let me let me talk to her. I know how to talk to women. Well, he starts spouting off whatever is sugary words. And the mechanic says, wait, that voice. Hold on a second. Pulls the curtain, and who should it be except Kira, uh, Samos's daughter, and Jack's love interest from the first game, and says, Daxter, is that you? Like, it's been two years. I didn't know where you were. I thought you were dead. And then she goes, and it's, holy crap, it's Jack. What is wrong with you? I mean... No, she doesn't actually say that, but it is implied. <laughs> it, it's like, it's pretty clear that she sees Jack. She sees how much he's changed and she's like, uh, what? Not a fan. Uh, and he's obviously, you know, a, a different person and a bit more not nice. Yeah. Uh, and Confrontational. she says, right. And she says like, how could you possibly be working for core? Crew. How could Crew. How could you possibly be doing, you know, working with these people that are monsters? And he says, I'm just trying to, you know, take down the Baron and, and make this place better. And and she says, you know, I've heard people talk about you. Not Jack you, but the racer you. And she's like, I, I heard that when you get angry, you turn into some kind of monster and, and that you transform like What's happened to you? She does not approach this topic very delicately in no. Jack's defense. And so Jack gets a little pissy and he's like, you know what? Screw you. Screw the people who don't like me after I spent hours and days and weeks protecting them. I'm out. And he literally leaves. And Daxter's like, Jack, who's going to race? And Jack's like, I don't know. Figure Fig it out. Yeah. I don't care. So Daxter is the person who has to race and he on his own jumps onto the race bike and enters the race and you're now controlling daxter for the um stage or class two race at the stadium this is all great for just a multitude of reasons 
first of all, it shows Jack or Daxter is not, you know, completely unyieldingly loyal to Jack. He does, in fact, have his own brain and his own things that he cares about is that he's looking at the bigger picture here and he's like, OK, yes, Jack is annoyed. But, you know, this is important. We're doing this for a reason. So I'll, I'll fill in and, and make sure that everything, you know, that I get first and we we keep on this path of, of getting closer to the Baron. And also, he just stands on the seat and doesn't actually sit in the bike, and it makes me so happy. It also shows that Daxter is capable. In the first game, Daxter never did anything at all except for do some quips, which is nice. But for a character, you generally don't want to have a character that is useless. In the second game, he still hasn't been super useful. You will notice when you're driving around on a bike or a zoomer or whatever that he is the one controlling the gun, which is nice. But unless you're paying attention, that really doesn't show off that Daxter is competent and capable, especially since he is generally a comedic character, so he bungles a number of things. But this time, he is the one literally in the driver's seat. He has to control this and win the race. And while functionally for the player this doesn't change the game, it does change the context of the characters. And I just think it's great to give this character that has up until now been kind of in the shadow of the hero the limelight and saying, no, Daxter really is a partner with Jack. He's not just a funny sidekick. He's there. He helps Jack and he is competent and capable. I think it's also worth pointing out, even though this isn't canonical, this is the race with the hardest shortcut. <laughs> this is the race with the hardest shortcut by far. Yeah, by it, it's 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 a solid shortcut it will get you really far ahead but oh man if you miss it one time it's over it's you're dead yeah you also have to have a boost to use this shortcut uh there's just it's not possible to use it otherwise uh yeah but this race just like the previous uh is relatively difficult uh you've got a kind of a cleaner bike to deal with but it takes damage really easily you can blow up and you have to restart the whole race you have to finish in first but there's a couple of shortcuts you can use to help boost your capability. And if you have the right skill, it's just a lot of fun to play this race. Yeah. Afterwards, uh, Daxter will come out and Jack will come up to him and be like, dude, I saw you race. That was awesome. And Daxter was like, really? Wow. I'm so touched. <laughs> and it really is nice because Jack admits that he was in the wrong. And he's like, yeah, like I shouldn't have done that. But you really stepped up. And you proved that you're just as good as me at racing. And that's something to be proud of because Jack is shown to be a very competent racer. Like the reason he's doing these races is because crew specifically said, hey, you are a really good racer. I think you could take on the champion. And the fact that Daxter can match up with that is significant. Um, so it's just really cool that it, this is kind of the last time that Jack is going to be a douche. It's the last time he's going to be all in it for himself, and he's finally kind of starting to see the bigger picture, and he's like, I'm going to let go of what other people think about me, of, of these issues that I'm coming into, and I'm just going to do what I think is best, and generally that is going to be the heroic answer that he finds. Right. The final of the three missions that are available to you right now, and the last one that you have to complete before you can move on, is another annoying mission. <laughs> Not my favorite. Uh, you have to escort three men who are hired by crew through the sewers that you drained to get to the statue of Mar that you revealed earlier um, to somehow, not in a non-specific way, get a very valuable jet, well, gem inside of a key that the statue is holding uh, at the end of the sewers. Well, no, no, you get the key the first time. The second time, he wants the statue. Or he, at least Crew tells you he wants the statue. Right. And that's why you're escorting these people. It turns out, quick spoiler, they're not there for the statue. They're there to blow the statue up, and there is something inside the statue that Crew wanted. Right. And in fact, the entire reason he wanted the statue to begin with was for this item. Right. So you, you go through the sewers... And these three guys are incompetent and, and will not protect themselves. So you, I mean, they will, they're, but they're, not very well. They're fairly cowardly, so they just run away from a fight. And if they have to fight, it's after they get hit. 
So this entire uh, scenario is fairly difficult because it is completely scripted. You have to take out all of these metalheads, all of them being relatively difficult. You have to do it without you dying. You have to do it without them dying. And there is a single... No, there is not a single checkpoint in the entire thing. So you have to deal with a plethora of enemies and various encounters. Most of the encounters will be you're moving forward. Suddenly your three trio stop and you have to kill a bunch of enemies before they get to them. Sometimes you'll have to go ahead and the metalheads will be shooting laser beams at you and you just have to jump over them like hopscotch and then you can finally take them down when you're close enough. And then the ultimate challenge is you get to the location right before the end and a literal swarm of metalheads comes at you and you have to kill them all to progress. Right, and they're attacking all four of you, so um, you have to protect all three people while also watching your back the whole time because they are coming down the walls and coming from the ceiling in like a 360 degree area. If you've ever seen... The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Think about the scene in the Mines of Moria before the Balrog descends, when all the orcs and goblins are crawling down the walls towards our heroes, and you're thinking the end is nigh. Okay, that is literally what you're doing right now. <laughs> but nothing scares them away. <laughs> but nothing scares them away. You just have to kill them. Really, the thing that makes this so difficult is that there is no easy way out. Even if you have Dark Jack and you have some of the abilities, if you use it, you can only take out a number of the enemies because they come in waves. So you just have to keep killing them. Uh, and because they're, they don't come from a specific direction, you just kind of have to spin your camera around, checking for them all the time until they finally die. And many people have died at this section a number of times, and you just have to do the whole thing over again, which becomes less of a difficulty and more of a tedious prospect, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I think any time a game causes many, many, many people to literally memorize a level because of how many times they have to do it, it's maybe a little too hard. <laughs> Unless well, no, that no. is what you're going for. If you have completed a level so many times that you can get through the majority of it easily, and then you get to the end and you keep dying, okay, there should have been a checkpoint before that end. Right. Because there's no reason to force your player to go through an easy section again and again and again just to die in a hard section. It just, it burns players out and it leads to you not having fun because this is a fun mission. It's really enjoyable to do all the things that you have to do, but when you have to do it five to 10 times because you keep dying, it's no longer fun, it's tedious. But once you complete that, you finally get to move on to some new missions. And actually, there's one mission that you have to take on, and unfortunately, this is another mission that can be extremely obnoxious. Oh, yeah. This is a good one. Yeah, so what happens is Errol, uh, the big bad, who is the Baron's right-hand man, and the guy who's into Ashlyn uh, and into all the ladies and just, like, he is a man's man in the city. Well, he sees that Jack is up against him in the final race. And he's like, hey, you're not good enough to race against me. And I'm going to prove it. We're going to race from here, which happens to be uh, near the mountain it, section. I thought it starts right in front of the Apog Saloon. No. Oh, oh wait, wait, wait. Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's right in front of the hip. Oh, no, no. So some context. Crew asks Jack to throw the race because he's going to make more money if Jack loses than if he wins. Jack, of course, is like, uh, screw you. I'm racing because I want to and because I want to meet the Baron, not because I want to make you money. Pro tip. If your racer continues to get first, don't bet against them anyway. Yeah, so Crew says, well, fine, I'll make sure that you, you know, something happens to you, blah, blah, blah. He can't do Jack against us because Jack, Jack Daxter. Uh, anyway, Errol happens to be there and says, oh, you think 
You think that you don't have to take a dive? You think that you can beat me? I'll show you. We'll race from here to the stadium, and I'll show you how much of a better racer I am than you. The reason that this is difficult is because of a number of things. First of all, rubber banding. Again, I hate it. Second of all, there are people. Uh, you cannot go up in this section. You have to be at the level where people are around. And this game employs this thing where sometimes they will jump out of the way and you won't hit them. Other times they will not jump out of the way. You will hit them and your trajectory and your speed will be modified. So sometimes you will lose this race due specifically to RNG. And just an, a person gets in your way, you hit them, and now you can't win. Third, you have to go through specific rings to make it to the end. If you miss a ring and hit one ahead of it, you instantly fail. Now, these rings do speed you up, but that can be a double whammy. Because if you don't know exactly where to go next, you'll be boosted in the wrong direction. Uh, and then also, you just have to know the order that these things pop up in, uh, which can be really difficult the first time you play. And fourth, you're not using the nicer zoomers, you're using a regular zoomer, which means that your handling is significantly worse than it is in the regular races. And Errol can freaking turn on a dime, I swear. Yes, Errol can turn extremely well. So, with all these different things, this is the most difficult race in the entire game are like by a lot the third race that comes after this no big deal like super easy by easy, comparison seriously like well we'll talk about we'll talk about it when we get there it's fine I have, I have a thing to say about it though anyway it's not the worst thing in the world you can finish this in fact weston completed it his first try in our most recent recent playthrough but we both know exactly how difficult this can and usually is so we want to make sure that we speak to how difficult people are going to find this the first time, not how lucky we were, we were the last time we played it. Yeah, it's just you're racing in a completely different element as before, is that it's not a timed race, and the better you do, the harder it gets. Which And it's also an extremely long race. It is. It's crazy like, long. It's super long. You go through almost the entire city. So if you are doing relatively well, but you choke at the end or you're just unlucky and you get hit by someone or something, you have to do the whole thing over and hope that your RNG is still good. So it, it is a pain in the butt. But that is one of the last really memorably difficult sections of the game. One of yeah <laughs> i mean there's probably a couple of difficult uh missions after this there's a couple of pieces of missions that are difficult but really this is the last mission that i remember being like oh this is so hard this is so obnoxious once you finish this race everything after it you're gonna be able to manage that's right uh we're pretty close to the end of the game so i think we'll just make this a little longer than normal and finish up yeah i've think it's gonna take longer than that to finish up we've yeah. got it's true it's true a lot. we can do it next time i cut that out okay well then fine all right <laughs> <laughs> fine we are at the end of our time and we are we are extremely close this will be the second to last podcast on jack 2 we'll finish it next time but we really appreciate you listening to our podcast and tuning in and if you have any suggestions, any of your own memories of Jack 2, of any of the missions that we've talked about in this podcast or prior podcasts or anything, you know, just any experiences you've had with Jack 2 that you want to share with us, please do. Please share it with us at our email, reflectionsongaming at gmail.com or in the Discord that you can find in the description of this podcast or any of our social medias that you can also find links to in the description of the podcast. That's right. The Reflections on Gaming, we really hope that we can reflect on these things with you. Uh, and we really hope that you guys can join in the discussion. So if you want to send your emails at reflectionsongaming at gmail.com, if you want to talk with us at Discord, if you want to tweet at us, if you want to talk to us on Instagram or anything, we are open to it. And you don't have to agree with us. We want to discuss this regardless of how you feel. And we hope that you'll take us up on that offer. We just finished Jack 3 in our last Saturday stream, so we were taking a break 
from the Jack Games for the next couple of weeks because we have some special events coming up. Follow us on all of our social medias or join our Discord to get notif notified of our midweek streams. This week we are continuing Resident Evil 4, and into November we will be starting new games in our midweek streams, and we love your suggestions of what you'd like to see. If you're listening to this podcast the week it came out, yeah. then this weekend we're going to be doing a special All Hallows Eve stream. October 31st, we are going to be playing some spooky games, and we hope that you'll join us in our extended uh, gameplay session. In general, we start our streams at 7 p.m., but that will not be true this Saturday or next Saturday. So follow us or join the Discord to get notified of the times that we'll be starting the stream this Saturday. And the following Saturday, November 7th, we are doing a 24-hour Extra Life charity stream from 8 a.m. November 7th, Saturday, Mountain Standard Time, until 8 a.m. the following Sunday. So, please let everybody know about it. Come join us. We have a very low donation goal. It's just something that we want to help out. All proceeds are going to go to the Children's Memorial Hospital of Colorado, because that's where we live. You do not have to donate a single penny to join and enjoy our stream. But if you have the means and the generosity to donate to children in need, that would be awesome. Yeah. And that's a lot of announcements, so we'll stop now. But thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed, and we will catch you next week. Yep. Hope you guys listen in next time. Bye.